Let's pray together, and then we'll interact with God's Word. Father, we're grateful for the living Christ that came, lived, died, rose from the dead, and ascended the fact that he is our Lord, our Savior. We thank you, too, for the written Word as we interact with a portion of one of the Gospels. We want to be attentive hearers and doers of your word. For it's in Christ's name I pray, amen. How many of us devote time in daily life to sitting by our refrigerator, exhorting it to run, to cool? How many of us in daily life sit in our car at least five or six hours without it moving, exhorting the engine and the transmission to work together so that the car can get you to move. How many of you sit in a chair with the intent and purpose of exhorting the chair for hours on end to continue to hold you? Now, lest you think I'm going a little crazy I bring those items up for a definite reason. In our daily lives, we just live in light of certain unions that are a reality and don't even think twice about them. We don't sit by a refrigerator and tell it to run because we plug it into the wall and it's supposed to take care of itself. Because the union of the refrigerator to the electricity. We don't exhort a car, our cars, for the engine and the transmission to work together because they're in union. We bought the car, the engine and transmission was in union. Because of that union, certain things naturally take place. You get in, you start it, and you get down the road and don't even think twice about it. You don't sit in your chair and exhorting it to be in union with the floor because the chair is designed to be in union with the floor. It sits on the floor. It's united to the floor, so it accomplishes its purpose. And this morning we want to consider several unions that are in Scripture, in the Gospel of John, and then what I would say are some natural results that follow. And follow along, I realize that... uh, you might say, where are you headed with this? By the time we're done, I think... I will put it together and you'll be able to see where we're headed. And as we look at the Gospel of John, I realize we're considering the entire Gospel of John in the big picture, but looking at several passages. I've done my homework as far as the passages we consider, as far as related passages, hours that I will not even talk about, just to be sure that what I share is in context. But as you think about the Gospel of John... It's kind of set with two bookends. The first bookend is Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, in John 1, 1 through 18. It ends in chapter 20 and 21 with another bookend that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Between those two bookends, we find chapter 119 through chapter 1942 that provides the evidence that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Son 
of God. And as you read through the Gospel of John, you'll find that there's four unions that are very strongly presented. And again, we're leaping into a particular passage, you understand that. But the overflow of John is that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And then all kinds of evidence that that is true. You find in the Gospel of John the union of Christ and his Father while on earth. Christ came to this earth. While he was on this earth, there was a union between the Father and the Son. And I realize that was true before, but it continued. That's talked about in John 1, in John 5, in John 14, and in John 17. We want to take our Bibles and turn to John chapter 14. Some of you may recall that in John chapter 14... We find that Jesus says, you know, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me and my Father's house are many mansions and so on. But let's pick up with verse 5. John 14 and verse 5. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I'm the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And many times we stop there. Let's read on, verse 7. If you really knew me, you would know my father as well. From now on you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the father that we, or that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. He will even do greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my Father's name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask for me for anything in my name and I will do it. The request is made you know, by Philip. Show us the Father, and that'll be enough. And Jesus says, you have me. If you have me, you know the Father. Notice in particular, in verse 10, don't you believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? There's a union between the Father, between the Son. The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. The water to wine, feeding the 5,000 and so on. He makes it very clear that he does not function on his own. He's in union with the Father 
When you see the Father, you see the Son. When you see the Son, you see the Father. There's a oneness. There's a union. And that is not only mentioned in this passage, the other passages I have listed, as well as some beyond that. So some thoughts. You interact with Christ. You interact with the Father. You interact with the Father. You interact with Christ. There's a total, complete oneness. There's an intimacy. The Father and the Son are in union with one another, or were in union, maybe I should say, when Jesus was on the earth. God and the Father are one in terms of in union with each other. Now there's a second union in the Gospel of John, and that is the union of Christ with humanity. John 1, 10 through 14. Hebrews 2, 14 through 18. Hebrews 4, 14 through 5, 10. All speak of the fact of Christ taking upon himself human form. So when you saw Christ, deity, yes, but Christ in human form took upon himself humanity. He was fully human. Let's go to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. John chapter 1 talks about the Word. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and so on. But let's pick up with verse 10. He, the Word, was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. His own would be referring to the Jews overall did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, nor of a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And the idea of dwelling there is to tabernacle. Just as God tabernacled with the Jews in the Old Testament. He tabernacled with the Jews in Christ when he was on this earth. Christ came in human form, flesh. He's made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The word became flesh made his dwelling among us. Hebrews chapter 2, 14 through 18, talk about the fact that Christ became human. Why? So he could become a faithful high priest. Hebrews 4, 14 through 5, 10, talks about the same thing. There's a union between Christ and humans. He took upon himself human form. Christ was fully human, but without us in nature, but he was fully God. Christ fully identified with humans. Christ became intimate, if you want to use that term, with humans.
Christ took upon himself human form. He became one with humans in union. So we have the union between the Father and the Son as he's on this earth. Christ came to this earth, took on human form, which leads to a third union, the union of Christ with believers. That's talked about in John chapter 15. Philippians 2 and verse 1. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ. In Ephesians 1 through 3 talks about the union. You know that believers have with Christ. God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing and so on. But let's turn to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. Reading together verses 1 through 8. John 15, 1 through 8. Jesus is speaking to his disciples before he goes to the cross. And he says, I am the true vine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Well, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. So that will be even more fruitful. You're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me, my words remain in you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Notice particularly in verse 5, Christ says, I am the vine. He'd be speaking to his disciples, you're the branches, but as you look elsewhere in John, it's not limited to the disciples. Christ the vine, the believer united to the vine. You have a vine, you have branches, they're in union with one another. He's using something that they were familiar with. Vineyards in the land in Jesus' day. He talks about a vine, he talks about a branch. Ah, yeah, vine, branch. Branches dependent upon the vine, but they're in union with one another. The vine needs the branch. The branch needs the vine. If any man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. There is a union between the branch and the vine and between the vine and the branch. They're one, but yet separate in that they have different roles. So a couple thoughts. This addresses pride, self-confidence, fear of others, the individualistic mindset, the constant need for exhortations. There's a union. No one who cares for a vineyard goes out to the vineyard and stands in the vineyard all day and says, branches, be united to the 
vine and vine be united to the branch. And since this union, now produce fruit. It doesn't do that at all. The union is there. So what happens? Fruit comes. The branch can do nothing in and of itself. If you don't believe me, go find a vineyard, cut off the branch, and see what happens. But try to get a vine to produce fruit without branches. We don't, the believers, the disciples, did not have confidence in and of themselves. They're dependent upon the vine. They're in union with the vine. It's not an individualistic thing. You have the vine and the branches. They're all in union with Christ. But there's not a need for constant exhortation. It just doesn't happen. Intimacy. Totally known, but totally accepted, which yields freedom. Christ totally knows the branches. He's in union with them, but accepts them because of the price that he paid. There's an intimacy. Philippians 2, which I referenced earlier, if you have any encouragement from being united to Christ. The believer is united to Christ. That's a union. Just as the engine and the transmission are united, Christ and the believer are united. There's an intimacy. Christ is in union with believers. God, Christ, in union with one another while he was on this earth. Christ on this earth in union with humanity in the sense that he took upon himself human form. Believers in Christ in union with Christ. And I would ask a question for you to ponder. Are you in union with Christ due to repentance of sin and faith in Christ? You have to respond to that and answer that. The fourth union is the unions of believers in Christ with one another. John 15, 1 through 8 talks about that. John 17, 20 through 24. Romans 12, 3 through 8. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 31. And there's a host of other passages. But let's go to John chapter 17. In John chapter 17, we have Christ's prayer. He prays for his disciples, and then he prays for those who would believe through their message. So let's pick up with John 17 and verse 20. John 17 and verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. Again, those who may believe through their message, referring to the message of the disciples, the disciples brought people to Christ, and that's gone on for many generations. 
May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. Did you catch that? They may be one as we are one. These believers may be one as the Father and the Son are one. I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you have sent me and I have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you love me before the creation of the world. Repentant, believing sinners come to faith in Christ. They're placed into Christ. They become in union with Christ. And they are united to one another. In the body, the physical body, we have many members, but those members are in union with one another. In the vine and the branches, you have the vine, you have the branches, but they're in union with one another. And Jesus, in his prayer, they may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. The reality of that union takes place because of faith in Christ. It's not something that believers try to produce. Oh, I've got to be in union with other believers in Christ. That's already taken place because we have the same Holy Spirit living within us. We're in union with one another because we're members of the body of Christ. The local church is one, united, the same head. The worldwide body of Christ is one, united in Christ, who is the head. That is why when Ruth Ann and I were in Africa and we would sit down and we would worship with people there, even though we couldn't speak the same language, a oneness. We were in union. We went to Guatemala and worshiped with some people there, a oneness and a unity. Why? Because of Christ. That union taking place because of Christ. Think about marriage to people who are believers in Christ. They're united. They're one, having the same head, Christ. Totally known, but totally accepted, yields freedom. Within the body of Christ, that unity, God's desire is that we totally know one another, and we don't get there. I understand that on this side of heaven. But we know one another, but we're in union, so we accept one another, and we care for one another, we love one another, we pray for one another, we forgive one another, we exhort one another, and so on. Because of that union. So the fact is, believers in Christ are in union with one another. There's an intimacy. 
because of that union. So I pose another question. Are you in union with other believers because you've repented of sin and come to faith in Christ? In the Gospel of John, we have seen four unions. The union of Christ with his Father while on earth. The union of Christ with humanity. The union of Christ with believers. The union of believers with one another. I want to make a couple applications. And the applications will tie in primarily with prayer. And the reason I'm focusing in on prayer is because as you read the Gospel of John, Christ was in conversation with his Father 24-7. He was in union with his Father 24-7. Does that mean he talked to him 24-7? No, but the union was there. So he could cry out to his Father at any point in time. No, it hoping, not hoping, but expecting the Father to respond. And that same intimacy is present between believers and God in Christ and believers with one another. The union, intimacy between God and Christ is foundation of prayer. Their relationship while on the earth displayed is to be displayed by believers with Christ and with one another. That all of them may be one father just as you are in me and I am in you. An intimacy, a oneness, a union with God because of Christ. That results in freedom. Refrigerator, I've been standing here for 10 hours now exhorting you to run. You don't do that. The union is already present. You plug it in and it's good for hopefully 5 or 10 or 15 or 20 years. Eventually it wears out, but the union between God and Christ and so on doesn't. That goes on in eternally union with Christ as believers in Christ is the foundation of prayer we're dependent upon Christ and we're one with Christ and we're related to the father as Christ and the father are related Christ had freedom in talking to his father why he's in union with the father we're in union with God we're in union with Christ Because of Christ. So we don't have to sit around and exhorting, well, I need to be in union with Christ. I need to be in union with Christ. That was taking place at the point of salvation. And now that goes on. And we have that freedom at any moment to cry out to God. Remember my father-in-law, Dick, He'd be working on things, and he was not a preacher now. Please understand that. Just a truck driver, mechanic sometimes, and so on. He'd be working on something, he'd say, uh, God, I can't figure this out. 
I need some wisdom on just how to figure this out. What's going on here? What's wrong? How do I fix it? He didn't get on his knees and say, God, now I'm going to make sure I confess all my sins. Just talk to God like he's talking to someone else. It's crossed my mind already as I drive down the road. Sometimes someone probably passes me and says, there's no one in the car with him. He's talking. I often talk to God while I drive. Sometimes out loud. Why? I'm in union with him. It can be while you're driving. It can be while you're eating. It can be while you're on the job or wherever. So prayer is not a tool to move God, but the humble cry of a dependent branch, asking in light of God's word and Christ as our high priest. Oh, we ask, yes. But it's a cry of a dependent branch in union with the vine that has freedom to go to the vine. It goes to the caretaker, I should say, through the vine, Christ, who is our great high priest. Because of that union. Ponder deeply the union. The unions that are present in the gospel of John. It's life. So tomorrow, when the kids come running in the house and your nice clean floor is dirty in no time at all, you're ready to tear them apart. And you start to say something and the Spirit says, whoa, and you say, oh God, here I, I blew it again. You have that freedom. For you guys driving down the road and the driver cuts you off and stupid it. I better stop before I go too far. God, where's this desire coming from? I want to talk to you about it. I have this freedom. That wasn't a very good response. There's a union. There's freedom in prayer. Because of the union of the Father and the Son. Because of the union between Christ and humanity, he took upon himself human form. The union between believers and Christ and the union among believers. I would strongly encourage you, in light of the union you have with other believers, as husband and wife, to pray together. For yourselves, your children, your grandchildren, other people. The union we have with one another, praying with other believers about daily life. The enemy Satan seeks to pull us apart from the union that we have in Christ. Karen is going to come and sing a song concerning Christ. The fact that he came to this earth. And at Christmas we reflect on Christ's coming. It's Christ's coming that displays the unions that are so very, very clear in Scripture. Karen?